Welcome to Untangling Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. We recently got an email from a list. Not sure if it's a listener or not, but it came through the feedback. Feedback at untanglingchristianity.com if you ever want to send us an email. But we got an email to this address, and I'm always excited when I see email come in on that address. This one made my heart stop. <laughs> the email basically said something to the effect of, Hi, Greg. My parents, my father and my mother, were in the accident, the car accident that involved your father and brother on such and such a date. And then kind of went on to introduce themselves. And I just, I was, I was speechless. I just, <laughs> I, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta show this to Greg. And so I did. And we talked about it a little bit. And we kind of bounced back and forth, I guess, on that topic kind of, I don't know, over the week or so since that happened. And you've raised the topic or the, not the topic, you've raised the, the experience and everything around. I mean, this is a very pivotal event in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, and a very pivotal event often when we talk about Christianity in terms of you leaving it and then coming back. And so it seemed to kind of fit in the podcast. I And, and I'm guessing that maybe th- this person found, maybe that was the only email they could find for you on the internet. I don't know, but I it was just, I read it and I just thought, whoa, like what? I don't know. It, yeah. So... <laughs> But that was my reaction. I'm more curious about your reaction, your thoughts. Mm. What is this? Yeah, what What was your experience of that email? And what do you think would be good to talk about here? Yeah, well, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. I'm really glad you, you know, I've, obviously we've talked about this already, but I'm really thankful that you uh, contacted me and, and you just took like time you know, right away as soon as you got it. And, uh, yeah, that, that was, um, was amazing. It was incredible to receive contact from this person. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to, um, mention names just, just in case that's, you know, not something that, that, that person would, would want. But, um, for me, from my, um, from my perspective, uh, it was, it was really incredible to, be contacted. The email was very gracious. This person, you know, uh, mentioned that they were basically reaching out, saying hello, uh, that they had thought about me and my mother, you know, uh, over the intervening time. Um, and that, uh, this person is now married, has a young family. Um, and that, you know, they're, they're kind of doing all right. And, and, you know, I hadn't, I think I had thought about uh, that family. So, uh, you know, the, the, the parents died. And uh, when that accident happened, I was 22 years old. Um, I don't recall the ages exactly, but I, I think it was somewhere between, and this is a broad range, between like eight years old and 14 years old, something like that. So at that time, a fair bit younger than I was. And, um, yeah, it was quite a devastating accident in terms of the the loss of life and just how how um, significant the sort of um, the situation was. I, they, I mean, no one's no one's there with a speed gun 
tracking the car as it's going along, but um, apparently they have uh, this sort of a skid analysis and other sorts of things that, that can give rough ideas, rough estimates of speed. And so this was uh, an 80 kilometer or uh, 50 mile an hour zone. The car was traveling at 160 kilometers or 100 miles an hour. This is my father's car, which was, and my father was, was completely responsible for this accident. There's no question about that in any way on, for, from anyone. Um, so it was, it was quite, uh, it was quite meaningful to me to have this contact and, and that, that began, I guess, putting me back into that time. And, you know, I began thinking about all the things that were going on at that time. And I realized that f- to a certain degree, um, you know, I didn't have as a 22 year old, I mean, I'm an adult technically, but I'm, I'm really not, not an adult in the sense of being able to deal with something like that. And wasn't it funny? Because I think back to when I was that age and I, I, I was an adult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew what I needed. To know. I mean, there was still stuff to know, but you know, gosh, you look back. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, and I guess I, I was also in a situation, I mean, when you, when you come from a really dysfunctional family, I mean, all of the, usually all of the layers of, uh, uh, you know, if you think of an onion, all of the, the surrounding layers, it, you have to go out a fair ways usually to get something that's not quite, <sighs> the intimate layers tend to be dysfunctional too, put it that way. And so we had a fellow who was a quote unquote friend of the family helping us out. And uh, one of the ways that that he, uh, you know, quite, uh, I mean, this word is is used a lot, but I think in some cases it's just dead on right. And this person is uh, quite a bully, you know, quite uh, domineering. And, um, you know, at that point, it just kept all the information at arm's length from me, kept me out of everything. And I could have gone to the police and found out, and you know, I had the right to, to access all that information. But I realized there was just so many steps that I didn't take, probably because I'm coping with the you know, the overwhelming nature of it. And then on top of that, just to see the things that I had seen and known and understood in private, because, you know, um, dysfunctional families also, and abusive families also typically uh, revolve around secrecy. So things go on, but other people don't know. Well, <laughs> there wasn't anybody in that town who didn't know about that, that accident. You know, and this is, it's not a, not a huge place, but it's maybe, I don't know, at that point, Hundred thousand people, and this was this was kind of big news that this had happened. So, um, yeah, it took me back, and it made me realize that there were certain things that I had uh, that I was kind of stuck at. Certain points I was kind of stuck at, and that I didn't have the kind of adult care that I needed. And, and you just didn't to, realize you were stuck there no. until this happened. Until until you got this email, exactly. Exactly. And I'm thinking, you know, what's been the impact of me of, you know, I talked with one of the officers uh, when she very, when I very first called, I was told to call that something had happened. You know, I was at that point at university uh, several hours away. And um, when I called, I spoke with one of the officers and she gave me a very little bit of information. Not that I didn't ask for more, but there just wasn't time. It was like the very first moment of being made aware of what's happened, how it's happened. Um, and yeah, that I, I guess I, that I hadn't followed up on this 
and that I really needed to. I, I'm, not, I'm still not sure to what degree I need to. Like there was a big um, – this is going to sound terrible, but, but it's true. Um, I was – at that time, even by the police, I was persuaded not to look at the bodies because they were, um, you know, they, they burned – whether they burned – I think they died on impact. But the bodies were, were 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 horribly burned, like charred, you know. So whether um, I, you know, whether looking at photos is something I need to do, I, I don't really know. And this is kind of it's a it's a these are really weird things to have to think about. But I realized that I just I didn't have reliable adults around me to help me, and that that was a huge loss. And that, you know, it's okay to, in some ways, be an adult by virtue of my age, like being 22, and yet not be an adult, not have the skills. And, you know, and and in other ways, too, this fellow who was a friend of the family wasn't around just for a month or a year. He was around for a long time. In fact, we just had a, a, we went through a lawsuit to, to remove him as a person of, uh, who, who was in charge and trusted with certain things uh, for my mother and for myself. And uh, so that, that was a long, a long battle. And it was a, a sort of an ongoing shadow, I guess, that was kind of taking up my attention and my energy as opposed to something that I, I guess at one level I thought was really unimportant, like actually reading through the police report. But... There was that and then I guess I realized too the bigger thing that, that was just struck me very powerfully and it's, you know, we talked about this I guess a week ago or so, John, and um, when the email came in and since then I've really been kind of living in this with these questions and I guess the, the, the big impact was that because I understood the way that my father had lived. He'd done some, you know, some very, he's been very successful in business, had done some very good things and helpful things. You know, I, I have friends who, who aren't really aware at all of the abuse and a couple of them. And that they, you know, they've got some good stories about how my, my dad helped them out. And I believe those stories. You know, I, I don't doubt them at all. But um, because I had seen the full scope, you know, in terms of what I'd experienced as a child, what I saw going on in my family, how I saw my father acting, in a number of ways that other people wouldn't have seen because they're not part of my family. And then to have seen this, the accident, I mean, I think that part of what was, had been going on for me as I became an adult and became more aware and certainly was, I don't know, just intensified a fair bit by this accident was that I had really made a decision to live my life in a, such a way that I would be a better man than my father and it wasn't until I got this email and I read it through and I've since emailed this person back and this person has agreed to, you know, be in touch a bit. And uh, we've exchanged some, some photos of our families and, and that's been really helpful. But I realized that I've been striving for something that I've already attained. That I've been striving to be a better man than my father when in reality – you know, he too came from a dysfunctional, broken family, a very abusive family, and um, from everything I know about it. And yet, you know, 
I made the choice to say no. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be like that. I'm not gonna uh, allow this to be a way of. And I'm, I'm not gonna allow these things to to characterize who I am and to dictate how I live, and that I will overcome these. I may not be a more successful businessman than my father. I'm certainly not, <laughs> but I want to be a better person. And it was just. It was so overwhelming to me to see just just to stop and take stock of the choices that I've made and the way I live my life and the things I put my time into and realize that I've been putting a weight on my shoulders that doesn't need to be there because I've already achieved what I wanted to achieve. So what was it about the email that triggered that? It's a good question. I think it was I think it was going back there. It was going back there in my mind and going back there emotionally, which is not something that I, you know, I it's neither something that I keep myself from doing nor something that I seek to do. You know, if something brings it up, then it's brought up. And you know, but but I think at the, this point I I was really I mean I'm I'm talking I'm engaging, you know, by email with somebody whose whose life was this person's parents were 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 killed you know and it was clearly my father's responsibility is his fault now do you feel any sense of his responsibility then passes on to you no you know i i don't feel that at all because like i wondered if you would feel that in relation to, to talking to this person no, I don't think so. I think I think at a certain point, um, like very early on when the accident first happened, there was a real sense of shame that that I felt not responsibility or uh, shame in terms of causing the accident, but just that I I bore. I mean, I bear the same name, right? So when I say my name, uh all the, oh, I know that name. What do I know that name from? You know, so um, that was uh, mm. that. That was a big issue for me for probably I don't know four or five years after the accident. I just um, was very apprehensive about that, and I wasn't around much. I didn't. I I I didn't live in the town where I was born. Uh, as soon as I went to university, I was I was out of that town, and, and I've never been back except that my mother still lives there, and I you know, on occasion I'll visit her. But no, there was no sense of responsibility at all for that. But I think there was a, just a, a renewed sense of sadness for this other family and a renewed sense of sadness for myself and for my mother and, and the loss. And, and yeah, I guess, I guess out of just seeing just, just how terrible it was and just feeling once again how angry I was at my father, you know, he was, um, whatever the, whatever the legal limit on, on alcohol is now, I mean, you go back 25 years, it was higher than, I think it was 0 0.08, then it's 0 0.05. Now he was, he was past that limit. And to my, to my discredit, right? This is one of those things. I'm just the type of guy, some people don't need to know this stuff. I do. I should know that number. Like how drunk was he? Some people don't need to know, but I'm a detail type of person and I don't overlook these types of details in other parts of my life. Not that it's like lingering in my, the front of my brain for forever, but I just know that it was over 0.08. So he's legally drunk. 
you know, and all everybody was so you know sort of aghast. People who who again abuse in families is not public knowledge typically, right? And when it becomes public knowledge, that's when it it it, it then becomes you know people do something or hopefully they do, right? It becomes a court case or whatever. Well, people didn't know about this, so all of a sudden it's sort of out of nowhere. Here's my father. You know, speeding at a hundred, you know, hundred miles an hour in a fifty zone, if you like to put it into miles per hour, and then, you know, he's drunk and he kills himself, kills his son, kills two other people, nearly kills my brother's friend. Is the only, the the fifth person who who managed to to get out alive. Um. And and I guess it was at that point when I just you know I kind of it was all there powerfully and intensely in front of me and I began to really realize the choice that I had made to change my life not to change my life like I was going down a path that he was but to be vigilantly intentional about not being like him and making choices where I could hopefully leverage some of the good things you know he was a very disciplined person in many ways and uh he worked hard for some of the things that he achieved and i i value those things about him you know i'm not trying to sort of totally uh back away from anything related to him but any of the the sort of negative characteristics just to work very hard uh, whether that's through counseling or whatever i needed to do right i wasn't above employing any help i could find or muster to help me get beyond this and not, you know, as they say, you, you, people tend to emulate their parents and I was not going to do this. And I guess that's where it was reflecting on the whole thing in a much more direct and intense way than I had in years that I realized, yeah, I've been carrying this around on my shoulders and you know what? Yeah, you want to continue living a lifestyle and being a person that you can feel proud of and that you value and that your kids will look up to, but you don't kill yourself in the process. Mm. And I think I've been somewhat killing myself in the process. Mm. So I have to stop that. Say more about the, the, like the investigation stuff that you were, you alluded to it a little bit, but I think you said it more directly in some of our other conversations, which was, how like one of your highest values is finding the truth and how deep you've gone with what you believe. And yet you've, I think as you described it, you found yourself in this situation. You hadn't done as much due diligence on this situation as maybe you have with your faith. Well, that's exactly it. That's really well put. I didn't, I don't think I did do my, my due diligence and I didn't, uh, you know, I was, uh, um, I had this person, this friend of the family buffering everything and, uh, uh, you know, keeping a lot of information from me and from my mother. And, um, I think he thought he was doing us a favor, but yeah, he wasn't, (laughs) he definitely wasn't. But I guess that's what I was saying too about you know, the photos, uh, whatever's kept on microfiche, there'll probably be some photos or whatever. And looking at that file, will I look at those or will I put those aside? I don't know. But there's a degree, I guess, of... Um, so you see yourself going back to the police station and seeing what you can get. 
Well, I've already contacted them. And, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've contacted them and I'm looking to get a file number, looking to see how long it's going to take to dig up whatever they've got. I'm assuming because, you know, multiple people died, they have something. But I've seen nothing official. You know, I know some information and I know some, um, some stats. That's all I've got. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's a lot to do with the fact that for me, who I am and who I've become as a person, um, I value truth. I value truth seeking. It's something that I do. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I do it as well as I want to in every, every area of my life. But, but this is a sort of a, something that's far below any standard that I would put on, you know, investigation, particularly on an area or reg- with a, regarding a topic that's so important. And I don't know that I'm going to, you know, it's not like I'm going to learn something new and go, oh, gee, I think I see this entirely differently now. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, that's what the, that question just popped in my head. Yeah, what are you hoping to learn or what, what, like, is there any particular outcome you're looking for or what? I think it's just there's a book that's – it's like a book that's been open and not just a book but, but something that I don't know requires me to sign off on. There's some sort of signing off process that's me going in and saying, you know what? I'm making the choice as an adult. I think what happened was and what I'm feeling um, quite upset about, you know, as the more I consider it is that m- both my mother and I were treated like children, you know, and whether that was needed for a bit – for a period of time or what have you, um, that having somebody who is as domineering and controlling as this particular individual was really problematic. And I need to be the adult that I was then and that I am now and say, all right, this is my decision. What do I want to do? What do I need to know? And some things may be lost. You know, it's 20, it's going to be 24 years. It's 23 and a half years ago. Okay. You know, and I, I will – doubtless there's information that's lost. There are particularities, particularities of the situation that only people knew or could, could have pieced together for me that, you know, I might see something written down on a piece of paper. I'm like, I don't really understand this. Um, no, I don't think it's about information so much as being consistent with who I am and closing off on a major, you know, sort of topic in my life, a major – period of my life. Um, and it's probably important for me to say too that this, this was not the reason that I backed away from Christianity. This was simply the final piece that made me do it. Oh, interesting. I've always understood this to be the pivotal event. No. No, I think this is much. This was just the final straw. Yeah, and it's a big one. It's a big one, but I think the, you know, the, the, the abuse from my father was much bigger. You know, that was much bigger. Um, and some of the, some of the, 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 the kind of the, the, the events that transpired in different churches were different, um, whether it's a sex scandal, whether it's a power mongering and just having like a, hey, we're going to kick out my, my, my coworker here because he's on vacation. What? You're trying to do a run a coup here, and then by the way, you've accused my wife of um, being dishonest and and had no grounds and brought nothing forward, and you're not backing down. Like, what is going on here? Who are these people? So, I think it was it was a number of factors, um, 
and this definitely, you know, the accident threw its weight in the ring, so to speak, but it was not the only contender. So go back to you were saying, I think, in terms of your investigation, it sounds like it's it's more a sense of you doing your due diligence and you'll find what you find. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think so. And I think I'm not, um, I guess, I guess too, it's, it's being prepared, you know, realizing that, that I, I maybe wasn't prepared back then. How can you be prepared for something like this? But I think that we're, both prepared as time goes on and we are in a strange way the preparation is something that comes through doing the thing itself so i'm walking into this thinking i'm going to be disappointed there's going to be missing information or there's going to be cryptic information that i can't understand and maybe nobody can understand because it's so and so's notes and they're like oh i don't know i don't really know what this means and then i'm prepared to be upset to be um I don't even know what the word would be. What sort of a an adjective I would use to describe my my demeanor or, or the situation of you know looking at terrifying, you know, uh, vastly disfigured photos of your family. You know, but part of me thinks that's something that I will do. I haven't made up my mind on it, and and I may not, which is unusual for me. I may not say to myself, you know, here's what you want to do beforehand. And you're going to do it. Typically, if it's something like that, I would kind of make up my mind beforehand and follow through. And I don't think I'm going to this time. Hmm. You know, I think I'm still thinking about how much of that impact do I need to know? You know, somebody, a lot of people saw these, these, these charred bodies. doesn't mean I have to. But if there are photos there, my guess is, yeah, I probably will. And... um yeah, I guess too. I'm. There's a really different space in doing this now than there would have been then because I have a very different relationship with God. And it doesn't mean that everything about the process of looking at these documents and examining them, understanding the details and seeing the photos is somehow less painful or less angering, or less terrifying. It just means that now I, I guess I've had enough experiences and enough different understandings about God and who God is, and I've put these together in ways that, are, that have an explanatory power and that are meaningful, they're coherent, and the tension between the incoherence and the insanity and, you know, um, I would say the, the utter selfishness, the complete selfishness of my father, which is what I would characterize this act as. I don't think he was going out, out to kill anyone. I, I'm, I, that's that's kind of not how he works. It's not how. It's not the type of guy he was. He did a lot of bad things, but he didn't do it that way. He wasn't overt about it. But it was this utter selfishness, and to to contrast all of that negative 
with the kind of the coherence and the explanatory power and the beauty and I guess the soft and subtle nature of some of the engagement that I've had that I would say is engagement with God, that there's something in that contrast, which I don't know that it prepares me, but at the end of the day, I am in a very different spot than I was 23 years ago. And, um, I guess mostly, mostly this is it. When I pray and I say, Father, I mean it. I don't mean it because I have to. I don't mean it because I'm told to. I don't mean it because I believe it works out theologically. I mean it. Because that's the commitment I have. That God has shown up for me in my life and has shown up in specific ways about and as a father. So that when I look at this now, there are two contrasting senses and realities of father here, but I know which one holds sway. I know which one wins out, not just in my head, but in my heart. Not just what I think is true, but what I love. And so all of the undoing, all of the incoherence, all of the insanity, all of the utter selfishness is there and has its full weight and full power. But at the end of the day, I don't live there. And at the end of the day, I close that file. And, you know, in some ways I've internalized it. It'll stay with me. But it stays with me not any longer in a way that is my identity. It is no longer my identity. And I don't have to push that. I don't have to force it. I don't have to grip my teeth and make it happen. It's the way it is. And, uh... I can't think of a better and a fuller and a more real way of engaging with this. It's not numbing me and it's not taking me away from the reality of it and from its relationship to me, but it's not the final word. And I think that's how it, that's how I left you know, 23 years ago, that's, that's how I left my family, as it were. And my spouse and I, Susan and I, went off to Europe and we spent a couple of years in Europe, leaving with the final word that not only was, you know, had my relationship with my family been destroyed, but my, my family name had been uh, smeared and um, that there was nothing for me in that relationship that I would want to hold up to anyone as being something 
of value. And to now not only be able to look up, you know, and see this sort of characteristics and traits of my father that I admire and I've taken on and I would hope to teach my own children, but to have a much broader picture of father, which doesn't disregard who he was, doesn't uh, sort of fail to acknowledge the role and the relationship and the impact for good and bad, but there's more, there's more going on and that more is real. And I think that's the biggest, uh, that's the biggest, the biggest thing I think that, that all of this kind of illuminates for me. I guess when we're talking about practical things and, you know, rubber meets the road, so to speak, well, this is one of those things, right? How does being in relationship with God affect this? And I would say there's a, there's a, there's a further reality which doesn't, isn't divorced from where we are. It's right intimately acquainted with it, you know, and it doesn't take away all the negative. It doesn't take away and wash away all of the pain and the hurt and the shame and the, the insanity and the selfishness and the terror. But it stands. It still stands. And it's still there. And I could see that for many people, this would not make sense. They would not be able to say these things and mean them. And I think that's okay. That's where you're at. You know, and they might say, hey, you can't possibly mean these things because these things aren't true. Well, you know, you and I have been having (laughs) how many discussions about this and I've been writing about this for a long time. And I would simply say the truth of that is is a matter uh, that that really has to be uh, examined rigorously and, and kind of undertaken, if you will, in the course of long term discussion. So, you know, I, I, val- I value the, the perspective that the, nothing I'm saying could be true or that, that, that there's, there are some I, – actually, I wouldn't value that. That would be a little, bit, um, a little bit excessive, I think. But I value the notion that the truth of what I'm saying is questionable. But I think the process of engaging in that questioning is something that cannot be taken lightly and cannot be undertaken without a degree of intensity and rigor and skill that when I look at it, most people, whether they're Christians or not, haven't done. And they don't know how because they've never learned the skills. And I guess part of, maybe part of what I was talking about there was, I think what will come of me looking at these documents is not only... Realizing that I put a weight on my shoulders that doesn't need to be there, but that there is an effect of the type of engagement that I have been undertaking and the type of rigor that I have put into that engagement in terms of my Christianity, in terms of understanding who God is and who I am and how we are supposed to be related And that effect is like walking into a room or a home where they have been cooking 
wonderful things over a long period of time. And you walk in and you smell and you smell something and it says, wow, that smells good. And I feel at home. And so there's this sense of being able to rest. And I don't do that very often. But I think part of what happens through the process of becoming acquainted with myself and acquainted with God, and those words are too weak, you know, acquaintance is a very weak sounding word in English, but I mean it in a much stronger way. Through that process and through that ongoing process of living as someone who's seeking truth, that the outcome of being in the presence of all of these terrible things and yet being someone who has had significant and powerful and wonderful experiences of God and understandings of God and experiences of myself and my life and of my identity is that there is, there is rest and there is peace. That I guess when I said that that event is not the end does not have the final word it is not the final statement that the closing of that book if you will is the closing of that book and that is not me that my identity is much larger than that and that part of the confirmation of that for me which you know i'm just kind of i'm walking through this right now i I haven't thought about this before at all is that i feel that my sense is that there will be a deep sense of rest and peace that will come out of this, which I I think is one way of saying that I live in the reality that I am deeply loved of God, that I don't have to say it because I'm supposed to, or because it's a good theologically, it's a theologically valid thing to say, but because I mean it. And that's the upshot. That's where I'm going. That's where the practicalities come together and the final word is that that love relationship which is real thanks for listening to the untangling christianity podcast we'd love to hear your thoughts or questions on this episode so leave a comment at the website untanglingchristianity.com slash 87 We also invite you to join our private Facebook group. To receive an invitation, send an email to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com and tell us your biggest need or problem when it comes to Christianity. We'll get an invitation right out to you. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.